Um, okay, so today's daf, today's daf, in addition to all the things that, uh, for all the matzah in Israel, it's also being sponsored by Arla, Arla Fendrich, Lezecha uh, Nishmas, the different change, Lezecha Nishmas, Mordechai Ben Aaron, one grandfather, and Miriam Gittel Bas Nechemia. Okay, so we're up to Daf Peites Amid Beis. We're up to it's. Uh, we actually have to go a little bit back. So uh, the Gemara says it's Leima Takonas Usha Tanoihi. So this is uh, the first word in line is Takonas Usha. Let, let me explain. Huh? Yeah, yeah there was other Takonas. Usha was a place. Takonas Usha just means Takonas in the city. There's one the Sanhedrin went to Usha. They made certain Takonas. You're right. It affected. You can't give more than a fifth. Whatever. So Takonas Usha was as follows. Again, just to review. Um, a large chalik of the Ksuba is called Nichse Malug. Nichse Malug belongs to the woman, but the husband has rights to it. We discussed in the past the husband's rights, which is Kenyan Paris. Does that make him the real owner? Is Kenyan Paris Kikinian Aguf or Kenyan Paris Lav Kikinian Aguf? That was a machlaikis Rishlakish and Revechner. Fun. Then we mentioned that there's a concept called Takonas Usha. Takonas Usha means as follows. If the woman sells the land, she owns the land, but the husband has rights to it. She sells the land and she writes that when I die, it should go to John. Takonas Usha is the sale does not go to John upon her death. The husband gets it. Meaning, although normally the husband only has rights to the Paris, over here it's very strong. His rights to the Paris are very, very strong for Shalom Bayes purposes, Chazal wanted that that the husband should get it. And therefore, in general, there's a discussion of Kinyan Paris, Kikinyan Aguf. Takana Susha is Kinyan Paris like on steroids. It's the husband has rights to it, but they really gave him rights. Fine. So the Gemara says, I think that this Shaila of Takana Susha, whether the Chazal gave the husband really strong rights to the Nechse Malug, or is it just standard Paris rights? I think it's a Machleikas Tanoim. How so? The Tanicha, the one Brisa said, If they Malug Yoitzin Beshein Vaayin Leisha, Avaloy Leish. The Taniidach Loy Leish, Avaloy Leish. Okay, very interesting. We know that when you own a Jewish slave, um, when you own, I'm sorry, um, when you own a Canaanite slave, when you own a Canaanite slave and you knock out his tooth, he goes free. Okay. Let's say the woman brings into the marriage a Canaanite slave. So she owns the Canaanite slave, but the husband has rights to his usage. It's the same thing. Let's say he knocks out his tooth. He doesn't go free because the husband is definitely not the owner. What if she knocks out his tooth? Does she go free? It's a machlekes and braises. She owns the, the eva, but she brought into the marriage. So the husband has rights to its usage. So she owns the principle of the Evid, but the husband has the rights of the Paris. Whatever he does goes to the husband. She knocks out his tooth. Does, does the slave go free? One Brysa says yes. One Brysa says no. I mean, she owns the Evid. So why would the Brysa say that she doesn't go free? Because if you hold a Takonasusha, that means that they gave a lot of power to the husband. They sort of took away her power. That would be. So this two opinions, this two Brysas. So, but the so by, the, by, by default, if she breaks his teeth and knocks his teeth out. No. He should, like, it's not done by the owner. It's not done by the owner. The point is, these two opinions 
of whether if the woman knocks out a tooth, does the slave go free, seemingly is arguing about takanasusha, meaning everyone agrees that kidney pair is lavki Everyone agrees that the rights of usage is normally not make you the owner. So why would one opinion say that the woman is not the owner anymore? Because takanasusha took the power from her and spread it evenly amongst her and her husband. So it sort of made it that she's not the real owner anymore. So the Gemara says, Savrua, uh, we assume, the Kuliyama, Everyone agrees that the ownership of the rights of usage is not real ownership. So, in general, the rights of usage is not enough. So, what's the machlokis over here? My love, the one who says that if the woman knocks it out, she goes free, is less like Takanosusha, does not believe in Takanosusha. Therefore, she is the rightful owner. The husband has right to the usage, but so what? That doesn't mean anything. She's the owner. She knocks out the tooth, he goes free. Manda Omar, loylish for loylisha, but the one who says that if the woman acts out the tooth doesn't go free, isli takonosusha, holds of takonosusha, and therefore, because of takonosusha, if uh, the, the takonosusha basically took away a lot of her power, that she can't sell it to a third party, it took away her power, therefore she's not the rightful owner when it comes to knocking out the tooth. Seemingly, that's what the machlaikis is. So takonosusha is the debate amongst these two braces. So the Gemara says, no. Everyone agrees with Takanasusha. So what's the Machlokas about? If everybody agrees with Takanasusha, that means she's not really the owner anymore, right? Because they took power away from her. So why does one Bryce say that if she knocks out the tooth, the slave goes free? The answer is, kan takanas, takana, kan takana. The answer is, everyone agrees with Takanasusha. The two Bryce's were written at different stages in history. The first Bryce that said that if she knocks out the tooth, the slave goes free because she is the real owner was written before the Takana was written in the city of Usha. The one that says that if she's not the rightful owner was after the Takana, meaning every, all the prices agree of the Takana. Well, let's say the Takana was written in the year 2020, let's say. So one price says, like the Takana Sushi was written afterwards, the other price was written before. They just two, two prices were just written in two different stages in history. Everyone could agree with Takana Susha conceptually. The prices are disagreeing because they were just written at different history points. One was written before the Takana was instituted. One was written after the Takana. But they both agree with the Takana. It's just one was written before, one was written after. That's one op, op, a, a way to explain it. Iba, you say another opportunity? No, both prices are written after the Takana. This is the Takana Susha. And both agree with the Takana Susha. So here's the question. What's the Takana Susha do? It makes the husband have really strong rights of usage. You know why? So why does the Brysa say, if everyone agrees with Takana Susha, why does the Brysa say, one Brysa say that if she knocks out the tooth of slave goes free, I thought she's not really the owner anymore because the husband has a lot of strong power. The answer is, Rava said like this, um, Rava said, let's say I... Let's say I, I, okay, I have a bottle of water. I owe you money. And I say, Menasha, I owe you money. This water, this water is dedicated. It's an apotheki. This water is set aside for payments for you. If I don't pay, it's like a, um, uh, like a, I forgot the word in Hebrew, but it's a, it's, this is set aside as payment for you. It's a, there's a shibud. It's a, there's a lien on this, on this item. Okay. Then what happens is, so right now it's mine, but I have like zero usage. I, I completely dedicated as payment for you. On your way to pick it up, I say, you know what? It's hectic. You know what the halach is? It works. Because at the end of the day, I'm still the owner. 
I still have the whole, I could hold on the rug and I could pull it out from under you. Or let's say until the person takes it, I could still make it hegdish. Or if it's a slave, I can set him free. Let's say it's a slave and I set it aside as payment. And then on your way to get it, I set him free. You know what I did? I pulled the rug out and it works. Or the last one is, what if I gave it to you? Yeah, I, I, I put it aside. And instead of it being water, it's a box of cereal. And then Chametz, Pesach comes. Oof. Can't collect it. There, meaning, although someone else has the rights of usage, if you're still the owner, you could still pull out the rug. Therefore, going back over here, even if you believe in Takanas Usha, that makes it that the husband has real rights of usage. She, It's still her slave. And if she punches the slave in the face, the slave goes free. It's the same. It's still her slave. Takanas Usha affects her ability to sell it. But when it comes to freeing the slave, she's still the owner. If she wants to make the slave to, to emancipate in other ways, she has the right to do that. That's Rava's opinion. Rava's saying that even though you gave the rights of usage to someone else, you could still free a slave. That's the Rava's point. So now the Gemara says, wait a minute. Does that mean that Rava's opinion is actually a debate amongst the Brysas? The answer is no. And this is what my father mentioned. Everyone could agree with Rava conceptually, but they just feel that Takanas Usha outpowers Rava. Meaning, normally, if you appoint a slave as payment and you set him free, it will undo, it will mess the guy up. But they feel that um, Takanas Usha overrides it. Okay, fine. The eBay Sema or a last opinion. So, so going back to the first case, yeah. as far as the, the, the wife goes ahead and knocks out the teeth, in this case over here, uh, it wouldn't work then. Well, it's two opinions, meaning one Bryson will say it works, one Bryson won't, but each one can wiggle their way out. The last option is, or there's another way to understand the Machlogas, and that is maybe nobody agrees of Takanas Usha, and the whole Machlogas is, is rice of usage, the real ownership. Very simple, just back to old school. Kenyan Paris, Kenyan Aguf. Who is the owner when one person owns the principle, but another one owns the usage? So the, if you hold, again, because again, she brought in the slave. She's the owner, but the husband has rights. If you believe that the rights of usage makes you the owner, she's not the owner anymore. She knocks out the tooth. It's not going to go free. If you believe Kenyan pairs love Kenyan Agov, she is still the rightful owner. That, that's that. Okay. The Gemara says, this Shaila of whether Kenyan Paris, Kenyan Agov, again, you have a situation where the item is owned by A, but the rights of usage is given to B. The question is, um, who is the real owner? Is the real owner the one who owns the actual item itself or the one who has the rights of usage? That's that's the shot. I think it's a machlegis tanayim. The tanya. So let me give you one um, information before we start. Very interesting. If you kill a slave, a Canaanite slave, you get the death penalty. But there's actually one difference between killing a Canaanite slave when you're the owner or killing the Canaanite slave when you're just a rando. And that is, let's say you go over, you, you drive your car on purpose, manslaughter, hit the guy, hit the Canaanite slave. He's in the hospital for three days in a coma and then dies. You get the death penalty, right? doesn't matter that he died right away. Who cares? If you're the owner, you'll only get a death penalty if he died within 24 hours. So Pasuk in the Torah, the Pasuk says, the owner will only get killed if he dies within 24 hours. So I'll tell you what. Doesn't matter. You knock the guy, he puts in a coma for three months. It doesn't matter. 
but the owner will only be killed if it's within 24 hours. So here's the deal. You got to figure out who the owner is. Let's say you have a situation where one person owns the slave, but the other person has the rights of usage. And then he hits him with a car, and two days later he dies from a, after the coma. So if he's the owner, he's not getting killed. If he's not the owner, he's getting the death penalty. So this shaila of who's the owner has huge halachic ramifications. You understand? So the Gemara says, Mamish's case. I sell my slave to Menashe. So now it's Menashe's. Yeah. The actual slave belongs to him. But I say, I stipulate, I want to use him for 30 days. So for the 30 days, I have the rights of usage, but he's yours. Okay. Then one of us kills him, but he takes a week, whatever. Who is the owner? Reb Meir Oimer, Rishon Yeshne Bedin the mayor says the original owner, meaning me, again, it's my slave. I sell it to Menashe, but I have rights of usage for a month. The mayor says, I'm the owner. I'm the owner. I'm still the owner. Uh, and therefore, that I would have the massive heter of the 24 hours. Why? Because I have rights of usage, meaning the mayor feels rights of usage defines ownership. I have the rights of usage still. I'm the owner. I get the 24-hour leniency. If you kill him, by the way, and it takes a week, that no no heter because you're not the owner. That's Romeyer's opinion. Because Romeyer feels very simply the rights of usage is the rights of ownership. Very good. Rav Yehuda disagrees. He says, no, Shani Rav Yehuda disagrees. He says, Menashe is the rightful owner, meaning not the one who has the right of usage, the one who owns the principal actually is the owner. And therefore, you would have the heter of the 24 hours. I wouldn't. I'm the one who's renting it. No, you actually owned it. I mean, I sold it to you. You actually own it, but I have rights of usage for 30 days. So you're renting it? Well, sort of renting it, whatever. It's part of the stipulation that I get to. It's like jewelry. It's I'm selling it to you, but I get to wear it for a wedding. Correct. So I get to use it for 30 days. So I'm rights of usage for 30 days, but it's yours. The principle is yours. That was the deal. That was the deal that we stipulated. I'm willing to sell it and let it be yours from today, but I want to use it for 30 days. It's important to me that I use it for 30 days. So for 30 days, it's yours, but I have rights of usage. Rav Mayer feels I'm the owner. Because I have rights of usage. Ravida says, you're the owner because you own the principal. Why? Because he says, Yuda holds the rights of usage does not define ownership. Ownership is defined by owning it. So you have Ramey and Ravida arguing in opposite spectrums. Then you have Rav Yossi. He says, they're both owners. Meaning they both get the leniency of the 24-hour killing. Rav Yossi's opinion, what is it based on? Very simple. Rav Yossi's not sure. He's not sure who the owner is. Suffolk nefashis lahakal, meaning you have a case where one of us killed the slave, but it took more than 24 hours. So does that person get the death penalty? Well, it depends. If he's the owner, no. If he's not the owner, yes. So Rav Meir has a definitive opinion. Rav Yudha has a definitive opinion. Rav Yossi's not sure, and therefore he says, don't kill either of them. So Rav Meir's position is that it's not the, that the, that it's not the owner, right? But the wife... And then the wife, this is a slave. I'm talking about a... Oh, so back in the discussion of that... Well, you'd have to plug it in. Then Rameyer would say that the, the rights of usage is the real owner. So by the case of a wife, the husband is the real owner. And Rav Yehuda would say, no, the actual owner is the real owner. So by the wife, meaning they're discussing a situation where who is the owner when you have one, one who owns the principal and one who has the rights of usage. This does apply by a marriage because when a woman brings stuff into the marriage, right. she owns the principal. He owns. Yes, you'd have you'd plug it in. You'd, I guess so. Yeah. So the Gemara then says, Rav Yossi says, you don't kill either because Rav Yossi is unclear whether Kenyan um, 
Kinyan Paris and Kinyan Aguf, Besafik Nefashis Lahakal. And he's not sure, therefore he doesn't kill either. And then you have Rav Lazar. He says, Shneim Eina Bedinya Miyamayim. Zelofishayna Shalai, Zelofishayna Kispar. So you have, okay, you have four opinions. Rav Meir says the one who has the rights of usage is the owner. Rav Yudit says the one who owns the principal is the owner. Rav Yossi's not sure. Therefore, they're both treated as the owner. And Rav Eliezer says they're both not the owner. Rav Eliezer says there is no owner in this case. Meaning, to be the owner, you have to own it entirely, which means own and rights of usage. If you own without rights of usage, rights of usage without own, neither are the owner. That's Rav Eliezer's opinion. So there's a four opinions on this uh, situation. Amar Rav, my time with Rav Laza, what's Rav Laza's opinion that neither is the owner? Because Amar Krok, he cast by who? The Repulsic describes the owner as it's his money, meaning it's his property. How could you be the owner if someone else has the rights of usage? And how could you be the owner if someone else has the principal? Neither is the owner. Okay, fine. Now the Gemara says, Kaman Azal Hadam Amemer, who is the author of the next view of Amemer that said, Ish you know what Amemer said? Amemer said, if the, the again, a wife brings in something into the marriage, she owns the principal, the husband has the rights of usage. You know what Amemer says? Neither can sell it. She can't sell it because he has the rights of usage. He can't sell it because she owns the principal. You know who that follows? That follows Rav Liezer. Rav Liezer says, not, neither is the owner. So neither is the owner like this. That's Rav Liezer's opinion. That it's not that they're both the owners. Neither are the owners. So no one can sell it. Easiest way to yep. Now, one more step. Let's say you have a slave that's owned by two people. Reuben and Shimon own a slave. Canaanite slave. And one of them hits hits him and knocks his eye out. Says, who is this? This is uh, Brysa. No, no, no name. The Brysa says, doesn't go free. Why? Because it sort of follows Rav Eliezer. Rav Eliezer's whole view is that to be the owner, it's got to be all yours. So to over here, meaning ownership of principle and rights of usage. Rav Eliezer would also say that if you have an, a slave that's owned by two people, he's owned by nobody. Meaning it's the same thing. Ownership means entirely yours. The same way Rav Liezer is not into splitting up rights of usage and principle, he's also not into, interested in splitting up partnership 50-50. If you have two people that own a Canaanite slave, Rav Liezer would tell you neither of them own it. So therefore, if, if, if one knocks out the tooth, they're not going free. I mean, it doesn't mean that nobody owns it, meaning whatever, they have a partnership, but they're no, neither are the halachic owners regarding all the specific laws that apply to having ownership. No, no, you got to be the owner at the time of the injury. So the Gemara says, The same Rav Liezer is not into splitting up ownership between principle and usage. He's also not into splitting up that I don't have to slave, you don't have to slave. It's all or nothing. Rav Liezer is into all or nothing, so to all or nothing. Okay. Uh, okay, very interesting. The next Mishnah is describing the laws of embarrassment. We know that when you embarrass someone, you have to pay. Now, what, what does that mean? Like, how much do you have to pay? There was a certain set of rules. Okay, you, you, you go to someone and you slap him in front of people. Slapping is an embarrassing thing. You spit in his face. So you go to Bezdin and they say you have to pay for embarrassment. So you say, well, how much is that? A thousand, ten thousand, a hundred, a dollar. What was this? So these are the rules. This mission is going to list rules and amounts that they stipulated in the Mishnayis as the standard. And then you could always deviate based on, you know, who got spit on and all that stuff. But this is the standard rule. Let's say you go and you shout in someone's ear and you hurt his ear. 
It's embarrassing to be hurt that way. Or you slap him in the ear. Then, you pay a sella. That was the penalty. Uh, that was the embarrassment. Rav Yehuda Mona, he disagrees and he says that it's a mona. A mona is um uh is 25 sella. Okay, it's much more. Citra, let's say you slap someone on the cheek. No, it's you pay 200 zuz. Lacher yado, you slap him. Standard. standard. Well, we're gonna see. Yeah, of course, but this is the standard, this is the amounts, and then you'll deviate, you know, if you slap a rabbi, it's gonna be a lot more embarrassing than slapping. You understand, but this is the amount, and then Besden would uh, you know. This is the um this is like the, the the foundation. You slap him 200 zoos. You slap him with the back of the hand? It's more embarrassing. You slap him like this, okay. You slap him in the back of the hand, that's like demeaning. That is 400 zoos. Is they differentiate between a man and a woman? Not yet, but we're going to see. Sarim Ba'ozna, you pull someone's ear. You pull someone's ear. That's embarrassing to pull someone, yank someone's ear. That's embarrassing. Tolash Besairo, you yank his hair. Or rokek v'higia by roiko, you spit and the spit touches him. You don't just spit in his direction. You spit and you actually you spit touches him. Or have a talisa menu. You grab someone's talus and pull it off. And this is talking embarrassing. Someone's like you, you know, to embarrass him, you rip off his talus. Or para roisha isha b'shuk. Or if you uncover a, a woman's hair, you grab off her shaitel. All of these are 400 zoos. I actually think there's a Gemara in Brach. I didn't check this up. Go to the next page. There's a whole sugya over there. And I think it's Chafam Ralph. There's a Mishnah over there. And it says that there was like a, a woman that I think he thought that she wasn't dressed so tzniyah. She was wearing like a red red coat. And he ripped it off her, not realizing she was a guy. And it said 400, I think it said 400 zoos. So that was, I think 400 zoos is the amount, right? Uh, I think 400 so it would it would be aligned with this. Okay, Zehaklal, this is the rule. This is, uh, it all depends on the honor of a person. Now, the Gemara is going to address this. Now, here's the question. Is this, this is a standard list, and then they'll deviate. Is this list for the Rabbonim that you embarrass, and then you go less? Or is this list for the average person, and then you go up? It just says this is the standard list, but is this the standard list of Chashiva people, and then if you embarrass non-Chashiva people, you go less, or is this the standard list for the non-Chashiva people, the Chashiva people, the Gemara is going to address that. Okay. Amr Rav Akiva says, even poor people, don't treat them like poor people. You see, if you have a poor person, you got a, you got a guy who's, uh, you know, who goes around collecting tzedakah, you could argue, what's the embarrassment for him? He's collecting tzedakah anyway. Says Rav Akiva, no, you don't look at a Jew that way. Very opening of how Rav Akiva looked at Jews. Shame b'nei Avram Yisrael They're the children of Avram Yisrael and therefore every poor person you don't look at them as a as as someone who doesn't have busha. You look at them as someone who was wealthy that lost their wealth. You see, there's the difference between embarrassing someone who's been homeless his whole life than someone who was wealthy and then lost their money. That's how Rav Akiva looked at poor people. They're wealthy people who lost their money because they're the children of Avram Yisrael which means they start off with the rights they should be wealthy. But Hashem put them in a situation where they lost their wealth. And therefore, their level of busha will be similar to every other person, even poor people. Now, the Gemara is a very interesting story with Rav Akiva, how Rav Akiva Melametzchos, a very beautiful story. The story goes that a man, a man was arguing with a woman. He pulled off her shade. Okay. That's being recorded. Did you, you didn't pull off her shade, though. No. Okay. Pulled off a shadow? 400 zos. <laughs> Should lose his job. But anyway, so the Maisa goes that a man pulled off a woman's shadow. Basa lefnei Rav Akiva. So came to Rav Akiva. So chayva litin le'ar mezuz. Rav Akiva says you have to pay 400 zos. Fine. Here's the story though. Amr Eloi, Rebbe Tenli's man. 
So the guy said to Rav Akiva, I need a week to pay. So Rav Akiva said, okay, not realizing this person did not want a week to pay. What he wanted, I'll tell you outside what happens. What we're going to prove is he caught the woman uncovering her hair. So he wanted a week to prove that she's not this grace at because she uncovers her own hair. So ten man. So no man. So Rav said, you want a week to pay? Take a week. Shamra Imedis al Pesach So he he waited in like an ambush. He waited for her outside of her house. And what he did was Right when she came out, he broke a, a, a bottle of oil. Now, this is expensive oil. So she sees a broken oil there. They didn't shower very often. An opportunity to put oil on your hair was like a rare opportunity. So she uncovers her shaitel to put oil on her hair. While he's te- while he's while he's doing this. Says, he had Adam waiting. He had Adam waiting for all this is to happen. So now he's got Adam that saw her uncover her own hair. So he comes to Ravikiva, so he says to Ravikiva, I have to pay her. Why? Because I took off her shaitel. She takes off her own shaitel. So what did Ravikiva respond? Ravikiva said, Your argument is nothing. Why? Let's say you punch yourself in the face. Are you allowed to do that? Is it the right thing to do? No. It's, your body belongs to Hashem. You shouldn't do that. But let's say you punch yourself in the face. Does that give me to punch you? Two wrongs don't make a right, meaning she's not right for uncovering her hair. But you still don't have the right to embarrass her. That's, just because she's embarrassing herself, that's her own progress. It's her own cheshman. She'll have to do it without Hashem. But because she hurts herself, you have the, two wrongs don't make a right. He says, says, Let's say I, I see that Menashe is not taking care of his backyard. He's, he's ruining his backyard. Is that the right thing to do for him to ruin his own backyard? No, it's not right for him to, to destroy his own backyard. But you think I can have permission to go in this backyard and destroy it also? Of course not. Why? Two wrongs don't make a right. Just because he's not treating his backyard properly doesn't mean I have the right to do so. So so to Rav Akiva's Malamed Tzchus. He said, listen, what she did is wrong. Okay. But that doesn't mean that doesn't give you the right. It's the same model that Rav Akiva doesn't look at the Jews of who, like as they were. He looks at what they could be. I mean, he's saying that this woman deserves to cover her hair. She's like a like Avram Yisrael She's Bnei Sarif Garach I she's not covering her hair. Well, she should. She deserves to be, and therefore you don't have the right just because she's taking her own right away. Doesn't mean you have the right. Okay, fine. Now let's just finish up the daf. So the Gemara says like this: Now, if you remember in the Mishnah, the Mishnah said that Rav Yehuda said in the name of Yosi Haglili. That if you yell in someone's ear, it's a mana. Now, mana, there were two different types of mana. Mana, there was mana tsuri or mana medina. There was mana tsuri and mana medina. Now, mana tsuri was solid silver. Mana medina was like basically like silver alloy or silver plated. So it's basically like, which mana is this? By the way, huge differences. Mana tsuri was eight times more valuable than a mana medina. So basically, was it uh, like $12 or $100? So which mana was this referring to? So the Gemara says, the rule, Tashima, there was a certain man who uh, punched someone else in the ear. Came in front of Yudha Nasi. Okay, look at the words of Yudha Nasi. It makes no sense. The Gemara is going to explain it. This is what Yudha Nasi said. I am here. Rav Yossi Aglili is here. Give him a manatsuri. So, okay. Now, the point of the story is that it's a manatsuri because he said the word manatsuri. So it's not a mana medina. It's not a silver alloy. It's a silver coin. Okay. But review the uh, shrami. No, it's a manatsuri. What did review you that? Again, you go to review that Nasi and you say, he punched me in the ear. So review that Nasi says, I am here. 
Rav Yossi Aglili is here. Give him a manatsuri. What, what, what is it? First of all, why is Rav Yudha saying, I am here? I see you. And also, why is he saying Rav Yossi Aglili is here? What, what is that referring to? So the Gemara says, My ha What did Rav Yudha Anasi mean when he said, I am here, Rav Yossi Aglili is here? Well, what is he referring to? So the Gemara says, Okay. Let's go option number one. I saw you do it, meaning review the Anasi said, I am here, meaning I've been here the whole time. I saw you punch the guy, so I'm the witness. And Harav Yossi Aglili, Manatsuri. And Rav Yossi Aglili is the one who says Manatsuri. So meaning, Rav Yehuda is saying like this, I saw you do it, so you're guilty. Rav Yossi Aglili is the one who says Manatsuri, pay him a Manatsuri. Here's the problem. Rav Yehuda Anasi is both the witness and the judge. Right? He's saying, I saw it, pay him. So he's the witness and the judge. There's a rule, a witness cannot be a judge. Ain a nasadayim. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, uh, something of interest. What's it called? It's a um, conflict, conflict of interest. A witness cannot be a judge. So how could a Yudha Nasi say, "I'm here," meaning I saw you do it. I'm the witness, and then pay him the money. A witness can't be a judge. So the Gemara says, That means that a witness can be a judge. Vatanya, but didn't the Brisa say Sanhedrin shiro Okay, let's say you have a situation where you have uh, uh, 25 members of a Sanhedrin, 30 Rabbonim, okay, 30 Rabbonim see a murder. So what do you do? So the Machlekes. So, Miktsas and Nasu Edim, Miktsas and Nasu Doyanim. Div Rav Tarfin. No, Rav Tarfin says, how many do you need? You need um, uh, a bezin of uh, uh, 20, 20, was it 20? I, I've been up since one o'clock. Is it 21 or 23? I'm, my brain is a bezin of uh, uh, 21. You need 21 people to do a murder case. You have 30 Rabbonim who saw the witness. So you know what Rav Tarfin says? Let some Rabbonim be the witnesses. Split up. 21 will be the judges. Nine will be the witnesses. Meaning, Rav Tarfin believes a witness cannot be a judge. You can't be both. You got to pick. He allows you to pick, but you got to pick. You can't be both. Comes Rav Akiva, and Rav Akiva takes it further. Kula made them in. Rav Akiva says, no, there's no picking. You all saw the murder. You're all witnesses. No judges. Meaning, they both agree a witness cannot be a judge. Rav Tarfin allows them to split up. They all saw the murder. Rav Tarfin says, so let nine of them be the official witnesses. 21 be the judges. Good. Rav Akiva says, no. If they all saw it, they're all witnesses. Witnesses cannot be judges. What do you see? Everyone holds a witness cannot be a judge. So how could Rav Yudha Nasi say that I saw you punch the guy in the ear, so I'm the witness, and now you're Chayiv, you can't be the witness and the judge. So the Gemara says, Both Rav Akiva and Rav Tarfin agree that a witness cannot be a judge. So what's going on over here? So the Gemara answers, one answer, Now this is a very deep Indian in like Lamdas as to why this is, but basically the answer is, a witness can be a judge if the witness saw it during the day. You're allowed to do judgments during the day. So if the witness saw it during the day, so he's possible at that moment to be a judge and a witness, then it works. The case where they were against it, Rav Tarfin and Rav Akiva, is where the murder took place at night. You can't do judgments at night. There's no dintaira at night. At night, you can't be a judge and an aide at the same time. You have to choose. That's the point. So could an aide be a judge? It depends. The first opinion is it depends. When did the judgment, when did the witness see it? If they saw it during the day, they could be a judge and the witness. If they saw it at night, cannot be a judge and witness. That's the first answer. Because again, at night, there is no judgment at night. You had a bezin is closed at night. So at night, you can't be an aid and a dime. During the day, you could. That's the first answer. 
The second answer is, or the second answer is, Rabbi Yehuda never said that he was the witness. What, what was the problem? Rabbi Yehuda said, I, I'm here, Rabbi Yosei is here. You know, you know what he meant? He didn't mean that I saw it happen. What he meant was, I am here and I follow Rabbi Yosei so give him a Manatsuri. He wasn't the witnesses. There were two witnesses there. It's not the different Misa. Okay, finish up with this. Rabbi Kiva holds that a witness cannot be a judge. That's what we just got finished saying. A witness cannot be a judge, cannot be both. Does Rav Akiva Taka hold that a witness cannot be a judge? The problem is we're going to quote a Brisa that implies that a witness could be a judge according to Rav Akiva. So that's the problem. Right now we're saying Rav Akiva holds ain aid nasadai, and a witness cannot be a judge for a one act. The problem is this Brisa is going to indicate not like that. The Brisa says, Vatanya, hika ish The Pasuk says you see two men fighting and they either hit each other with their fist or with a rock. Why does the Pasuk have to give two examples? Either a fist or a rock. Just pick one. So the Gemara says it to tell you, You know what the difference is between a, a, a fist and a, and a rock? You could lose a rock. A fist, you could always, you always find the fist. It's attached to the guy's hand. The Pasuk says two guys are fighting and they hit each other with either their fist or a rock. What's the, Shimonatimani says, the fist has to be the rock has to be like a fist, meaning just like the fist will be brought to court so that the Bezdin can examine it, so too the rock has to be brought to court. Meaning, if they lose the murder victim, the weapon, court is thrown in. That, that meaning the Pasuk is comparing fighting a fist or a rock, just like a fist will be brought to court because you don't lose a fist, so to the rock has to be brought to court. If they lose the rock, if they lose the murder victim or the victim uh, or the injury victim, the court is thrown out. I'll tell you why, by the way. Very simple. Why is it thrown out? They had to investigate the 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 item that caused the injury. I'll tell you why. The guy comes in with like full black and blue, right? I'll tell you two cases. You'll tell me if they should be the same. One is I take a baseball bat and I beat you in the face. Come in all black and blue. Should I pay for that? Yeah, of course. What if I took a feather? And I, like, I literally just, little love tap. Like, mom, not harder than this. But you have some sort of, you know, your blood vessels pop so easily. So it looks really, really bad. Do I have to pay for that? No. I didn't hurt you. They would look at the murder victim or the uh, uh, the injury weapon because they got to figure out. Okay, so says Shemina the same way the fist has to be brought to court, so to the rock has to be brought to court. That means that if they lose it, is thrown out. Let me ask you a question. Does this make sense? Okay, th think about the case. Reuben and Shimon are fighting. Reuben takes a bat, beats Shimon. Witnesses see this. Okay? Court date is in two months. They go to court, and the Bezin says, where's the where's the bat that was used? We lost it. Throw out the case. Why does the Bezin have to see it? The witnesses saw it. What does it matter whether the Bezin sees it? Understand? Says Did the fight happen in front of Bezdin that they're the witnesses? Stop, by the way. That implies that they could be the witnesses. By the way, that's the point of this Brisa. Rabbi Kiva said, Why is it important that the Bezdin see it? It's not like they're the witnesses. Pause. That implies that they could be the witnesses and the judges. Put that aside. Rabbi Kiva objects to it because Rabbi Kiva said, Why is it important that the Bezdin sees the murder victim? It's not like they're the witnesses. 
which implies that they could be the witnesses, that they could be the Bezdin and the witnesses. That's the point. What do you mean? He's saying, why is it important that the Bezdin sees the item? They're not the witnesses, which implies that if they were the witnesses, it would make sense, that they could talk and be the witnesses. Okay, it's, okay, it's a little bit, uh, the is going to get at him. The point is, Rabbi Kiva's a major objection, just to understand the context, is why is it important the Bezdin season? So the Gemara says, It's not like the fight happened in front of Bezin that the witnesses, that they know how many times he got hit, where he got hit, was he hit on the cartilage of the heart? Was he hit on the calf? Void. Stam says, let's say there's a, there's a murder. He got thrown off a building. You're going to make Bezdin go to the murder, or you're going to bring the murder to Bezdin? You don't make the Bezdin travel. Meaning you're telling me now that the Bezdin has to see everything? So that means that if there's a murder in Kansas and they go to a Bezdin, the Rabbanim have to travel to the to the investigate the spot of the murder? No. More than that, void imnafla. Let's say, let's say he got killed in a warehouse and the warehouse fell down, exploded. You have to rebuild the warehouse for the Bezin. Meaning, why is it important the Bezin sees it? What are you talking about? Who cares that the Bezin sees it? It's important that the witnesses see it. So says Rav Akiva, Ella, Ma'agav Mi'uchot, you must lay them. Of course you must lay them. Probably she ought to have Rav Akiva says, you know what the Pasuk is telling you? The fist has to be, the rock has to be like a fist. Not that it's seen by the Bezdin, but it has to be seen by the witnesses. Meaning, if the witnesses never see the item, then it's a problem. So you have Shimon Atimani and Rav Akiva are arguing, when is the case thrown out? Shimon Atimani says, if the witnesses see it, but it's not brought to court, thrown out. Rav Akiva says, what is it important that the Bezdin sees it? It's important the witnesses see it. If the witnesses never saw it, meaning the witnesses see a fight, and by the time they're like, where is the, where's the bat, where's that? It's gone. Okay, then they never saw the item. Then fine. Then their edus is not complete. But if they saw it, because I told you, you got to know how you got to know how you hit him. Because if you find out, the guy comes into court. You had this with the you know the people, the fake people, where they put where they show up with like a neck brace, right? What if you found out that the bat that you beat him with was plastic and it was from Fisher Price? It's important. You got to see the item. You got, you got the guy screaming out. Oh, he's beating me. He's beating me. He shows up to court the next day, all black and blue. But what if you find out that the, the whole thing was a scam? He put makeup. You know what I mean? You got to look at it. Rabbi Kiva says it's important the Adam see it. It's not important the Bezdin sees it. But what, what's the point of this Gemara? Rabbi Kiva said, why is it important that Bezdin sees it? It's not like they're the Adam. That implies they could be the Adam. So the Gemara says, The implication of Akiva is that the Bezdin could be an aid. So the Gemara says, No, this is Rev Akiva's rebuttal to Shimonati money. He doesn't believe in this. He's saying to Shimonati money, You believe a witness can be a judge. I don't. So his argument was not his opinion. He was saying what Shimonati money should feel. Um, tell you like this let's. Let's mention the next Gemara. We're not going to do the answer. We'll just mention the problem. Okay. Uh, quick thing to remember, Shar uh, Tam, that Gores, pays half, and he pays half based on his own value, right? He's capped, right? Let's say you have a Shar that Gores that has no value, zero. Then you don't get any money. It's You only get money based on the value of the animal. If the animal has no value, you don't get any money. Okay, how does that happen? How could you have an animal have no value? So, shartam shehemis vehezik. Let's say you have a shartam that in one rampage killed somebody and gored someone else. So here's the deal. 
If he gores someone, he's going to get killed. If he's going to get killed, the death penalty to the ox, I'm not talking the person, the ox. If the ox is going to get killed, it has no value. If it has no value, then there's no money to pay for the other one. They use the ox itself to pay for the damages. You would sell the ox and give the money. The shara nizik, you only pay from the goof of the animal. It's not a, a bill on the person. It's it's the animal itself is sold to pay. If the animal has no market value, this is talking about a tom. Shara tom, shara tom. So the Gemara says, shara tom a tom ox that killed the person and inflicted damage to a second person. So, then it gets killed, so he doesn't have to pay the money because there's no value. The animal has no value. It's going to get killed. It has no market value. But Shmuid Shehem is for Hizik, but let's say a Shar Muid kills. A Shar Muid is a bill on the person. It has nothing to do with the animal's value. Therefore, you kill the Shar Muid and you make the owner pay the, the value because it's not, you don't pay Shar Muid as, as a bill on the owner. No, if Bezin kills it, it's Asabahna. Shar Niskal is Asabahna. It has no value. But, shar, but Muid. A muid, you don't pay from the value, value of the animal. A muid is a bill. It's a bill on the owner. Therefore, don and oisai dine mominis, you first try the animal for monetary law, and then you then you kill the animal. But what if you did the opposite? What if you killed the animal first? To me, it should be the same. You should still have to pay. It's a bill on the person. Says the Gemara Chiddush that we're not going to understand today, that we'll deal with tomorrow, and that is if you killed the muid first, he doesn't have to pay. Why? Doesn't make any sense. The whole Indian of a muid that it's different than a tam is that a tam you get paid from the value of the animal. A muid is a bill. So if the muid killed Reuven and hurt Shimon, to me, kill the animal, pay Shimon always. I don't care about the order. Says Gemara, no. If you kill the animal first, he doesn't have to pay. If you make him pay first, then kill the animal, perfect. But if you kill the animal first, he doesn't have to pay. Why? So the Gemara says, What's the difference? And that we'll deal with tomorrow. So tomorrow I'll review this last point and we'll address the answer. My pleasure.